Welcome to The Unexceptionals, a podcast obsessed with everyday people. Like me, Anita Mube. And me, Kira Jack. Giving unheard voices a chance to speak on the mic. Whose story would you like to hear? <gasps> oh, we're not quite halfway there. <laughs> oh, living on a prayer. I was going to do something smart, but I just stuck with the actual lyrics. It's fine. <laughs> Welcome, guys. Welcome to episode five. Yes. Series as, two. Yes. As Kira said, not quite halfway there. Um, mm-hmm. We're like close. We can, we can always taste it. We can always touch it. But we're not quite there. Uh, mm-hmm. And this episode, we're joined by a dear friend of mine called Shayla, who's yes. also known as Petit Pois. Why? You'll find out. um i'd say this is a good episode for actually anyone because it gets very almost not existential but um uh, we get into the topic of human nature Mm. at the end Mm -hmm. and human awkwardness in social situations but Mm -hmm. also about personal crises in terms of work and trying to make it in the arts and having and moonlighting and having a real ass job and Mm -hmm. she is a post lady for royal mail um and it's it's just an all-round very interesting, very chatty, very yeah. good episode. Probably one of the ones that we've talked about, obviously, like, very specific scenarios, but then we also talked about kind of mm. wider, like you said, wider thinking. Like, why do we act the same way? Yeah. As we broaden people? it out. It gets, yeah, it gets existential. Bruh. So, yeah, that's kind of cool. And what, so one of the things that um, uh, Shayla did share about as one of our ex- unacceptable moments was seeing someone on public transport crying. And... Mm how she responded to that so we thought we'd talk about times that we've seen people crying um and how we responded to that so uh kira do you want to start yeah so i when i was uh talking to anita about this or let's doing stand up i all the train journeys blur into one mm-hmm. so maybe i've seen a lot of people crying <laughs> is what i'm saying uh sometimes maybe me um, <laughs> but the one that stands out and it was one of these ones and we talk about older generations on the podcast as well and of course you know a bad relationship a flawed relationship is not um sequestered to just the older generation mm-hmm. but this one i thought was particularly interesting it was like you know when you get on a train about 10 at night you see this group of people they're sort of middle-aged um they look like they've probably been to a fancy dinner they're mm-hmm. a little bit boozed and um this very well-dressed middle-aged woman was sat by the window and she was not just not sulking is the wrong word because sulking implies pettiness Mm -hmm. she was annoyed and she was crying Mm. and she was dabbing her eyes and i could see her husband in the first class carriage behind us was looking through the sort of window door and kind Mm -hmm. of trying to beckon her to come and sit with everyone again Mm -hmm. and the just i know energy is like a bit too much of a millennial phrase but her energy was Whatever had happened, I was siding with her. Yeah. It was, I didn't get the feeling she was being petty. I got the impression she was pissed. Yeah. And it was a group of middle-aged guys. One of them was clearly her husband. And the guy, so I didn't do anything in this instance because there was a guy who was sat next to me. He was like a, another guy around her age. He was very like giving off a professor energy. He had like, you know, really Ooh. nice sensible suit. He was very calm and he was very soothing. Like I'm saying, like, you know, I can imagine his office had like a nice big armchair in it. And he Ooh. probably has like a nice, I bet you he shops at Waitrose. <laughs> he shops for quail eggs. And he was keeping her occupied by just talking to her about random things he was mm. planning to do with his weekend and asking her what she was going to do. And it was the sweetest Aww. thing I'd ever seen. And I was like, dude, shag the professor. <laughs> Forget ditch your husband. Your, ditch your husband. This guy is a legend. Yeah. He was so he was soothing and he was chatting to her and he was keeping her occupied and she was like nodding and listening. I was like, your husband's like sweaty. He looks like ham. <laughs> ditch his ass. It's like ham <laughs> ham. But do you think they knew each other? Or was he a randomer? He was That's- a randomer. Ooh. I just I, I gathered that from when she she got off before me and mm-hmm. the professor guy was on for longer than i was mm-hmm. so she was kind of like said thank you to him and got off Aww. when her husband and friends got off at the next stop so yeah i was it was a weird situation where i was like don't go and sit with your husband this is like, it's like watching a love story <laughs> unfold, like, unfold you're like sparks on yeah, the train they had chemistry. It was like <laughs> it was like sort of a rom com. That's do you know what? all rom coms are like young people. They're yeah. all in their early twenties. We need to see like a middle aged rom com. 
Oh, yes. And they meet on a train after yeah. there's been too much Prosecco. <laughs> <laughs> My absolute spam of a husband <laughs> has been a prick. And now this wizened, velveteen man is going to yes, read, read me Proust. Yeah. yeah well, you're, you have two stories. Yes, I have two. I have two stories. One as a person who saw someone cry and the second one as the person who was crying. Um, I'll start with the one that I saw someone crying because that's older so I was again also on a train I'm pretty sure Shayla's story was also on a train they're always on trains mine was on a train as well yeah mine was on a train it's the vehicle for letting it out (laughs) it's the vehicle of sadness obviously yeah Um, but yeah I was on a train I had my headphones on and I was listening to like my music it was really late again and I was going home and um I was in between songs, so a song had finished, then another one was about to start. And it was during that time I heard someone crying. And I was mm. like, oh, and I was like, started looking around and I paused my music to be like, someone's definitely crying. And I was sitting in like, because you know, on some trains you have the like three seats that face each other, and then the rest are like two seaters, and then you have another set that face each other. I was sitting on the group that was facing each other and like, I couldn't see anyone across me or like in the other set of like seats that were facing each other. Then I turned around behind me and there was this girl who was absolutely bawling her eyes out. Like (gasps) she was, she was, it was like, you know, when you know someone is like something bad's happened because of the like type of crying they're doing. You can't hold it in. Yeah. Yeah. But she was trying to be quiet and like, but obviously it was, it was really bad. It was just like a bad level of crying. And I was looking around at the people around me who didn't have headphones. And I was like, you guys have just been sitting here hearing this. I'm like, what? What's going on? Because I, I didn't yeah. hear it at all. So I then like took off my headphones and I looked back at her and I was like, are you okay? Is everything okay? And <gasps> she was, it. and she was just like, upset and i looked around at the people around me and i was like does anyone here have a tissue because i don't have one can we give her a tissue and then someone kind of like fumbled a tissue out of their bag and they gave it to me and i gave it to her and i was like i hope you're okay if you want to speak to someone like i'm right here and then gave her the tissue and sat down that was the yeah that's the only time i've seen someone crying but it was really bad like you you know when someone's like if someone was this is more than a bad day this is something's happened Yeah. yeah And it, I, I, I don't know if I would have probably, I can, if someone was maybe sobbing, I would feel probably more uncomfortable, but because it was mm. so, not obvious, but it was just like, really like in your face, like you kind of couldn't yeah. acknowledge it. It felt weird to not acknowledge it. Yeah. The kind of crying we were like, we all know this is happening. Yeah. 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 So I remember that. Hey. Okay. And the second one is, it was you? <laughs> Again, I was on a train. <laughs> what is it? I feel like, you know, when you get like Americans and they're like, wow, you guys are so lucky to have like transport everywhere. What's it like? Well, you will see someone crying and it might be you. It's, it's tear stained. That's what it is. It's tear stained journeys from A to B. This is on the tube. And this is really recently, oh, actually. So it was like after I'd like split up. <laughs> <laughs> like my relationship had ended oh and I was no. going to see my friend um, in London. It was literally like that week. And I was on the tube making my way towards her place in London. And there was this like adorable um, beagle <laughs> that was on the train in front of me. Beagle catalyst. <laughs> I didn't realise. Yeah, there was a catalyst defo. And she was like, adorable and really friendly and she like came up to me and was like wagging and like going all straight and I started stroking this dog and then I just started crying because I was like I've always wanted a dog and I wanted a house with a dog and I think obviously during that time like I felt like all my dreams had gone yeah you're thinking like yeah I won't have this dog ever again I just started crying and it was really awkward because the owner could see I was crying (laughs) and people oh, on the light no. tube could see I was trying and I was trying to like cover it up to be like I'm not crying while I'm stroking your dog oh, no. <laughs> but I was crying but no one did anything everyone was kind of like I think it's one of those things where I was like I was crying and then I remember looking and when people caught my eye it was like they immediately just looked away like averted oh, their gaze no. and I was like I'm so sorry Oh, no. Yeah, I was did you were you all right when you got off the tube or did you like find somewhere and just kind of let it out? I was fine when I got off the tube. I kind of was just like kind of go and just thing. had to go change onto the sweaty central line. 
Oh, that is a rough. The it's central rough. line is there's no other word than rattly and sweaty. Yeah, it's just constantly hot. It's like you just hope on a hot day that you can get like the Circle Metropolitan or Hammersmith line. Anything that's not central, <laughs> I'm happy with. <laughs> But oh yeah. no, I'm sorry to hear that. That's that oh. was my encounter on a train. Do you, I wonder, like, with British people, is it like a you suddenly get put behind this weird perspex kind of glass sort of barrier of I don't know what to say? Maybe when you were on that train, you helped that girl. You kind of broke it for people. There's like I've I've said the thing. We can acknowledge this is happening now. Let's somebody do something. Yeah, I think with the tube as well, where there's the whole joke of oh nobody make eye contact. Yeah, especially if those eyes are wet with tears. <laughs> no eye contact, and if they're moist, <laughs> you leave those bad boys alone, my friend. <laughs> Straighten the lap. Look down at the lap. <laughs> oh, God. Anywho, so that's Shayla's. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, Shayla, it got deep. It got dark. Um, ah, the episode let's was out of this swamp. Yeah, let's just, um, we're here to promise you that Shayla's episode is not so dark. It's wonderful, it's creative. No. We talk about, yes. as, as Kira mentioned, the creative arts. Um, so please make sure you follow her on her Instagram. She's Petit Pois Burlesque. Uh, she's also got a website, yes. which she said is the same, PetitPoisBurlesque.com, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Either way, it'll yes. be in the show notes. And she's going to appear on another podcast yes. as well. Um, which is the, I feel like it's the Invisible Cabaret podcast again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this will be in the show notes because I did not fact check myself before I started this. <laughs> but yes, she's going to be here on a podcast and uh, that podcast is kind of linked to other endeavours within the burlesque world that she's involved in. So that's exciting. Um before we jump into our episode, please, guys, make sure to, you know, interact with us, follow us and message us because we love having a chat with all of you on Twitter, yeah, yeah. Instagram, Facebook. Um, we mainly use it just to have chats with people who listen to the podcast or um, who have questions about anything. Follow us. We are at underscore unexceptionals on all of those things. And you can also email us um, at theunexceptionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theunexceptionalspodcast at gmail.com. Please do like us on socials. It just lets us know you're there. And you'll hear lots of famous big podcasts saying, oh, like and subscribe. Fuck them. We're little. Like us instead. (laughs) We appreciate this. This is war. (laughs) We're taking down the man. (laughs) The big dogs. it just lets us know that you're there. Um, particularly Instagram. The Instagram is is lacking some love. So please come and follow us and, and let us know what you want to see. Come and, do, do you want to see more of us? Do, do you want, what do you want from us? Do you Tell want our us. faces? No, no. Uh, yeah, that's the main thing. Interact with us because we like having a chat with everyone. I love talking yeah, yeah. to you guys. Uh, but until then, we, well, actually, no, wait, not until then. Do it right now. And whilst we transition to the episode with Shayla, um, Make sure you do all those things. So, okay. Yes. Welcome to the microphone, Shayla. 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 Hi, my name's Shayla. I'm a Royal Mail manager by day and a burlesque artist by night. Yay. Yes. Succinct. This is the first duo one. We think we've had like. I'm this, but you do so many interesting things. So you need to say them both. <laughs> yeah, they are. It's very exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Shayla, thank you so much for coming along. Um, I've known Shayla for a while. Um, I want to say, is it year eight? Yes, year eight, I believe. So that's 12? Are you 12 in year eight? 12 or 13? I think 13. maybe 12 going on 13. Yeah. Teenagers, whoa. <laughs> wow, you met each other in the ugly phase of adolescence yeah. when it got real. Yeah. <laughs> and those hormones started popping. Oh, God. Yeah, so that's what now, 15 years. That's crazy. That is a long time. That's disgusting. That's a disgusting <laughs> amount of time. How's it been, both of you? Be honest. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> That was a pretty long time. I, mean, I missed you when you went to uni. That was really sad. Yeah, I know. But I we got um because I feel like we were part of the same friendship group in secondary school. But then in college, you and I actually got really close. Yeah, yeah. the same classes and things. We were in the same drama class. Yeah. We you didn't do fine art, but you, you did photography, right? In college. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you did art. Yeah, and I did art. 
and, and then, then we had that amazing dance <laughs> which we were always late to yeah okay so the story is every, so this dance class would always happen after lunch I feel like it always happened after lunch and it was like in the high street of the town that our college was in and we'd always like turn up and like people would be like you're late and we'd always look at the clock and we were always like five minutes late and every time we'd walk in late and look at the clock and then it got to the point where like the teacher commented and they were like you always do this you always look at the clock and you're always five minutes late <laughs> and we always look surprised we're always like huh no <laughs> can't oh, wait it cannot yeah. be <laughs> Yes, I remember dance. Why did we do that? <laughs> I don't know. For fun. Did you succeed at dance? Was it kind of like the was it tap jar tap dance, jazz, modern yeah. Irish dancing, interpretive wolf <laughs> suits? And we were doing I think it was some sort of ballet number two colours of the wind or something. Oh my I god. I think halfway through she just stopped the tape and she was like, that was absolute shit. <laughs> <laughs> You all need to do it again. And obviously we're all like, we don't know the moves. I'm, I was singing it, I tell you. Oh yeah, I wasn't the best at dance. Certainly not back then at least. No. <laughs> but, no, I mean, so what's Colours of the Wind? Is that quite a famous song? Or is, was it like Rainbow Rhythm? <laughs> Pocahontas. Oh, Pocahontas. Yeah. I've never seen Pocahontas. Oh, oh whoa. The beautiful oh. And you had to do ballet to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't blame you. It's entirely her fault. <laughs> it's like, please do some tap dance to the, yeah. the, the what's the one from Lion King? <laughs> oh, was it like, um, oh my God, I'm going to, which one? Which one? Circle the of Life. Circle of Life. <laughs> yeah, I just remember the whole class being out of sync and just, yeah. yeah. I feel oh. like it had ribbon work. Why do I feel like oh, we've been like ribbon? You're right. You're right. <laughs> that is the dance cherry <laughs> on the slapstick pie. <laughs> <laughs> Just like badly ribboning through the yeah. air. Uh, it was really bad. I don't even remember the show because we had to do like a performance at the end. We had like three or four routines and I don't really remember <laughs> show day. I don't know if I knew the dance moves then, to be honest. Okay. I think we were at the back somewhere. <laughs> Five minutes late. Yeah. <laughs> huh? yeah. huh? Is an audience here? What? Uh, so yeah. But that's how long I've known Shayla. That's a story. <laughs> beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> um, so Shayla, what we're gonna do is we're gonna like jump straight into um kind of one of your like unexceptional moments if that's possible and I think it kind of ties in because it links to your job I'm gonna say plurally um and so you mentioned a bit about what your day job was like and what your evening job is tell us a little bit more about let's do both at the same time like you're you're a manager for the Royal Mail yeah that's right um only just recently this year so i've been with royal mail for about seven years um and i was post lady for, mo- for the most part of that um and then i thought well i don't want to be here forever but at the same time i don't want to leave and start something new so i'll stick with what i know and go into management and see how i get on there um and then on the side of that i do burlesque and drag and cabaret at night so it's uh, late nights, early mornings, and fitting oh, wow. in sleep yeah. where possible. Um, but yeah, obviously very contrasting, but definitely the cabaret keeps me sane. Right, yeah. But obviously doesn't offer enough money that I can quit the day job, which is quite depressing. Yeah, um, which is... The goal, really, is just, yeah, yeah, have enough that I could just do cabaret full-time. But it's very hit and miss. You might get months where you get loads of income, and then other months where it's quite dry and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess you're like freelance when you're doing the burlesque stuff. It just yeah, depends exactly. on how many gigs you're booked for and things. Yeah, yeah exactly. I was gonna say, so what how did you start in the um how did you start with burlesque? When did you were you did you literally go into being a post lady as you were kind of being like, I wanna be a burlesque dancer, but someone's gotta pay the bills? Or was it did it come along later? Um, so literally, I'll give you a brief backstory. Um <laughs> I left college and went to uni to do an English degree, but only stayed for about two weeks. Um, oh. I think it was in the last year where the fees were. Yeah, so yeah. 
go but then mm-hmm. I was there and I was like why am I here I, I don't even know if I want to do English mm-hmm. and I just chose like a safe option so I dropped out and just went straight into work um didn't really know what I wanted to do always loved drama but never went down the avenue because you know it seemed like quite an unrealistic thing um again it's not something that will definitely pay the bills at the end of it mm-hmm. but then I got thinking well actually if I don't try I never know right so, yeah I then went to try and apply to drama school um, for quite a few years. Um, was really tricky to get into. It was a lot harder than I thought it would be. Um, was still at the post at that point, still doing work and stuff. Um, and then a teacher there gave me some really good advice. She said, in the years that you don't get in, um, do other creative avenues. She's like, yeah. obviously you do drama. Everyone who applies to drama school loves drama. So to come and say you like acting, we hear it from everyone, but do something different, you know, take photography, take a dance class, this, that and the other. Oh, okay. um, don't turn up five brother- minutes late to your dance class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> Your um, ribbon work is terrible. I can tell you haven't dedicated yourself. <laughs> um, so I was like, cool, I'm going to, you know, I, I did dance classes. I did um, some sort of like method acting class. Thought I'd try a bit of that. And then my brother at the time was getting into circus um, mm. and cabaret himself. And um, I thought I'll just do it on a whim. I'll take a blessed class. And at first I was quite nervous. I was like, oh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. It's far too scary. Getting my kit off. No, 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 no. <laughs> if I book it I have to do it so I booked a troop class so you sort of do a performance at the end with a bunch of other women mm-hmm. um and once I did that it was like poof, 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 wow like my so you own. had the moment the yeah. kind of <gasps> and then it just spiraled 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 and kept happening kind of thing so yeah a bit of a journey to get there but you know it seems like it was meant to be in a way yeah so you said so you've been you said for Royal Mail for eight years now isn't it I think this is probably the eighth year. Yeah. So how long have you been doing then, like, burlesque? Because obviously you said there was a period of time you were doing, yeah. like, looking at going to drama school. So burlesque, probably about four years now. Mm. So it's been, yeah, I think, because I think when I joined Royal Mail, that's when I was starting to do drama classes and applying to drama school. Mm-hmm. And I must have applied for a few years um, and I always remember thinking, you know, it's going to be hard to get in. I don't expect to get in first time, but, you know, maybe I'll get through to like the first or second round. But my first year was just terrible. Like didn't get very far at all, um, which is obviously quite gutting. Um, and then as a couple of years went on, I was getting through to like final rounds, um, but still wasn't quite happening. And then, I don't know, my mindset just changed. I got so caught up in cabaret that... Um, attitude changed to that which would have been interesting if I'd got into drama school in those first couple of years because I guess I'd be down a different path now as well do you think yeah. is, is it kind of to the point now where the thought of maybe being in drama school seems a bit disappointing now by comparison hmm. oh yeah in a way I did a um sort of like an evening foundation course at Mountview but I just don't remember feeling fully invested into it compared right. to like other drama courses I've done yeah um it just felt like um oh, and I think when you've done a lot of drama classes it's a lot of like you know oh we're here to see the teamwork and it's all mm-hmm. going to be uh, <laughs> we're all going to be moving together as a wave and <laughs> <laughs> like the first few years you do that it's fantastic yeah. Like, yeah teamwork we're going to make shapes and be monsters and rah, rah, rah. yeah and you're like yeah. Oh, I just want something a bit more gritty and a bit more sort of dialogue or duologues but they're just obsessed with the whole teamwork and movement and motion Um, so So it's not a priority for you would you say at this particular moment in time or is it just like oh no and especially because I'm like oh I'd have to take like I have to give up work and it's like three years to be you know fully invested and I don't think it's one of those just you have to be really I think sure of it and Mm -hmm. I was a few years ago and Mm -hmm. I'm just not now maybe in the future yeah. I'll do like one year course or something but I think the time's got to be right and I mean yeah. it doesn't feel right now no, right. Fair enough. how yeah. did you get from so you you did this um troop class and you just the kind of light went off and you're like oh my god this is mm-hmm. this is brilliant how did you get from that to because I imagine this is what a lot of people might be wondering is how do you get from oh I couldn't possibly know to you're booking your first show on stage and you're going to do it in front of people 
Like, so what, what was the, the step from those two? Because that, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, my God. How do you go from, <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> Not me. To, to, like, yes, Potter's paying now. <laughs> yeah. um, so after the troop course, I did a solo course, which um so good because you get to build a solo act that you can immediately sell and pitch mm-hmm. to bookers oh, wow, okay. and producers, things like that. Um, and I think for my first year, what I did was a lot of competitions because you sort of get your name out there, you meet people on the scene, mm-hmm. um, and really it is it is a lot about who you know, meeting producers, meeting people, doing a bit of free work first. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many, um, what's the word, venues and uh, cabaret pages where they list lots of jobs. Yeah. So it's a case of just putting yourself out there, applying for everything. Um, and seeing what, what falls back. Also, another thing was um, some girls that I met at the school, we created our own night, which is um, a great way of, yeah, if you want to create new acts and create your own kind of money, do it yourself kind of thing rather than relying mm-hmm. on producers, produce it yourself. Um, so that um, was a really useful way of getting like new acts on their feet to then mm-hmm. get films, sell to bookers and things like that. So... <laughs> You tell us about this group that you're with and your act, because at this point we just know you as Shayla. But what is your act and the group oh, yeah. that you work with? Um, I, I was coming up with a name. I wanted it to sound a bit French, a bit burlesque, um, and I am very little myself, so it kind of works my brand. <laughs> when I started doing drag, I mean, it doesn't really work coming out as Danny Zuko, but being introduced <laughs> as Petit But I'm like, I feel like I need to stick with it because people know me as Petit yeah. and I feel like if I start changing my name then um yeah people are looking up all sorts of things then so I'm not I've got to stick with it now it's there people know it is that well it's jarring and that sometimes works isn't it it's like petit pois then you come out like yeah Danny Zuko with your gelled (laughs) hair people would be like what's going on it works in your (laughs) favour it happens (laughs) yeah um and then so I've got two troops actually one is just the girls that I did the uh, school with we're called the Mm -hmm. cherry poppers oh yeah and I love it you know we're all different ages different sizes I think we really reflect um the diversity that burlesque shows because I think there's um a bit of a stigma around you need to be a particular look a particular size to do burlesque and actually it's about being liberated rather than just doing a sexy dance kind of Mm -hmm. thing um and then my second group is called invisible cabaret Mm-hmm. And we are a mental health group, so we create burlesque and cabaret around mental health to break that stigma, mm-hmm. which is quite a risky thing to do because, um, uh, you know, you don't want to just chuck glitter on all your problems and be like, everything's fine. Yeah. So it's kind of yeah. balance going, we're going to approach this topic, but without, yeah, making it all spark the time kind of thing. Yeah. So it's challenging, but it's, it's proved like people have responded really well to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds like it engages the drama school side of things, not the drama mm-hmm. school, if you know what I mean, but the, the kind of creative, kind of, yeah, the kind of yeah. the, the narrative building, storytelling, Definitely. all that. So, in a way, what your teacher suggested kind of worked, but it's kind of backfired mm-hmm. in that you're no longer interested. <laughs> <laughs> it works too well, as yeah. you might say. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just got so much, um, so much creative freedom. Um, and there was another teacher who pointed out that as an actor, you don't really get to um act as such what you're really doing is is, um is interpreting things yeah so the actor I mean the director already knows how he wants the story to be told he's just Mm -hmm. seeing if you can interpret that so you don't Mm -hmm. really get a lot of room to play about with things as an actor Mm -hmm. whereas if you're doing something like burlesque or dance or whatever you are your own director Director. you you know you're not following any guidelines you can be as silly and extreme or as serious and um intense as you want kind of thing I think that's the beauty of it so do you feel like you're like kind of flexing more creative muscles through burlesque that absolutely yeah yeah, definitely if you were acting which not to say that you, you would be flexing creative muscles as an actor but do you think there's just more that you're having a chance to develop and yeah definitely what's the favorite thing what's your favorite thing about burlesque so obviously you mentioned your own producer you're your own director your own writer what's the favorite part of the creation process i think it's because it's like it's my ideas and the audience are responding to that Mm -hmm. rather than when you're an actor like if you get it wrong or right like obviously you're doing a job as the actor you know portraying a character but 
you know a writer or a director has done that and you've performed somebody else's work Mm -hmm. whereas when you create your own stuff you feel so much more vulnerable because you're like this could go one of two ways Mm -hmm. either they really respond well to it which is what you want and you get all the credit for it or they go yeah we don't get that and you go oh no there's no one to talk back on that was all me I'm so sorry (laughs) yeah it's a lot more um I don't know a lot more satisfying I guess I feel like yeah I can see that. Kira, how do you relate to that as a stand-up? Obviously, because that's very similar. Vulnerable. You write your own stuff. You perform it. It could bomb or it could. Yeah, (laughs) be great. Before I did it, I remember Reginald D. D Hunter saying exactly that. He said, "If you go out stage and bomb, it's all you. It's literally like you can't turn around and be like." But equally, like like you said, the payoff is even better. So when it does work, you think oh, thank God I had that week of dying on my hole because mm. it meant that the next week it was a lot sharper or I was... Because I feel like when something goes wrong, like, you're acutely aware of where it went wrong. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. You kind of feel like, oh, that's where I lost them or... Yeah. You kind of learn more. It's painful, but you do learn more from it. And like, so, yeah, it's just you that has to fix that. So when you come off stage, you're like, okay, that didn't work, but I have to fix this now. And it's, yeah, it's that weird thing of being a performer, I think, with stand-up. Because people say that with stand-ups. They say, like, oh, it's very strange that you'd come back again after mm. dying. But I think that's with any performance that's self-directed or self-written. It's, it is quite unusual to be prepared to have an audience go, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then be like, yes, I'll do that again. I will, yeah. I will, I will feel let down again, willingly. <laughs> I mean, how stand up so much harder to me. I mean, I feel like because you're expecting one main response, which is Mm -hmm. laughter. Obviously, if you don't get that, that that seems absolutely horrifying to me. So kudos to you for doing it because I think it's the (laughs) hardest art form there is. Like, really. But you're right; it probably pays off the most. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's weird though, but like, because like you have like I've had gigs where people haven't laughed, and you've come off stage, and people went, "Oh, I really enjoyed that," and it was like they were silent laughers. Mm. Yeah, yeah, right. Which yeah. is weirder because you're like people were having a good time, but I couldn't tell. Oh, and, yeah. like, and that's just kind of even weirder. You're like, okay, good next time, la- enjoy it louder because yeah. <laughs> I, I need to know it. you're enjoying it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So in terms of like how, because obviously Kira, you mentioned that you'd you'd have like you do maybe like a new set and then it might bomb and you're like maybe I need to tighten this joke and then you do it again and you gradually get better. But in terms of like burlesque, like I'm trying to figure out like how that would work like with some of your acts because I'm assuming you like create an act you have an idea and then what you perform it and you see the reaction and tweak it is it the same concept or yeah pretty much um it was kind of like that when I did my first drag act so I do a big um Danny Zuko thing and um I was very I was so nervous to do that like more than the burlesque because I thought for starters drag king has much more of a stigma in terms of like women playing men um and you've got the risk of people looking very confused because they're like, that's a girl, but you're dressed as a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, I don't know, I mean, it seems it's good now, but at the time I thought I must be mad. I incorporated audience participation. Mm-hmm. And I, this could really go badly because, and, and I still I still dread it now, actually. Every time before the gig, I'm like, why am I doing audience participation? Why did I do that? And um, there's only been a few occasions where, yeah, the first person I go to, they'll be like, no, not coming up. Yeah, and I really yeah. think I've read them. I'm like, yeah, you'll be up for it. And they're like, no. no. <laughs> you read wrong, girl. Um, <laughs> and you feel like this thing inside you just dropped because yeah. you're like, oh, no <laughs> panic. You're like, someone who next? Now. Who next? <laughs> yeah, the thing is, you've been alone the whole time, but you're like, but I need somebody. Like, no one leave me alone. Um, so that's really horrifying because, yeah, you don't know how they're going to take it. Um, but then when they, you know, do come up and you try and show that you're in safe hands and stuff and it does work out, like you say, it pays off. But they're, like when you haven't done an act, you're just like, I'm going to have to wing this. And if this doesn't go well, then, yeah, I won't be doing that next time. <laughs> <laughs> Got to change that. Definitely. So what, this is what I've always wanted to know with um, any kind of drag is what made you choose the persona that you've chosen thus far? The Danny mm-hmm. Zuko one. What made you went him? Absolutely him. Um... How did that start? Well, so this was when I was doing a troop show with the Cherry Poppers and we themed the night around summer. 
So I was trying to think of summer ideas, um, and straight away in my head popped Greece. Summer loving. Summer loving. Yeah. Danny Zuko, Matt, he is such a cool dude, and probably it's probably a really good thing. But I'm such a fan of Greece anyway. I've been yeah. brought up on it, you know, know it so well. I was like, oh, maybe that's maybe that's the drag king I should do because I've been thinking a long time. I'd love to do drag, but I don't know what I'd do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was for that summer show. I was like, oh, Danny Zuko. And I remember I was like, I've got I've got a leather jacket, so I've got that bit. Oh, what else would I need? And you sort of just very slowly all these pieces come together. And then you're yeah. standing there and you're like, yeah, this feels wicked. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, and it's weird. Like as soon as you dress up, that whole persona takes over you. Yeah. And I get, yeah, when I'm when I'm dressed as Danny Zuko, it's amazing. But women are so attracted to me. Like I get women <laughs> after shows coming up to me going, really? I genuinely have a crush on you. Like I fancy you so much. <laughs> And I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> you're like, you best believe it. Um, you're you're like, that's right. Yeah, you're leaving a trail of broken I'm, hearts behind yeah, you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I love that response because it means it's going down well. There's only occasionally yeah. where I've done a few suburban shows. I'm planting a seed of, you know, an idea around gender and giving them something they've probably not seen before, especially in a suburban area. Mm. Um, and that's going to make seeing drag in the future maybe more accepting because they're like well I have seen it before mm-hmm. and it, we're gonna like normalize it and things like that but that does feel quite uncomfortable because I'm like you I really look like you want to punch me <laughs> this you're is just... an interesting question yeah right but you so yeah. you've seen a difference like what within bigger kind yeah. of more younger cities in comparison Absolutely. to like rural yeah. smaller yeah what's the Absolutely. most rural place you've like played in or like what's the most kind of in the middle so, of nowhere Along the coast, there's actually quite a big cabaret scene. And I mm. think it's because because they don't have much of an entertainment life. Mm. People flock to the cabaret because it's the most exciting thing to happen to the areas around there. Mm. Um, but it's when I go to those suburban towns that it's very, I'm going to get the people who frown a bit more, who look a bit more uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But also yeah. those who go, okay, yeah, I'm on board with this. Okay, I see that. If you could, like, draw, who is the average in, like, those difficult gigs? Who is the mm-hmm. arm folder? Who is, like, the typical culprit of the someone where you're like, I cannot make eye contact with you? <laughs> um, a middle-aged old man, normally. You it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't surprise yeah, me. Right. <laughs> oh, gasps and no one. Yeah, yeah no one listening to us is going, well, that's very, that's so unlike so odd men middle-aged women i mean they're so excitable i mean they're beside themselves can't get <laughs> they're the ones aroused <laughs> that's why their husbands are furious <laughs> they're like, <laughs> <laughs> just like i've not seen her this way in so long yeah. oh god <laughs> no i mean i don't it, it'd be interesting to question why that's the case i mean if they're the part of the same demographic but you notice that maybe one particular gender I guess is more receptive and the others not so much so there's probably a few old women who you know have like pierced lips pursed lips is that the (laughs) pursed lips sort of like "Mm," like I don't know what to say about that um, (laughs) they're much rarer definitely yeah um I don't know Middle-aged men are from an era where, I mean, you still get guys like this realistically, but they are very much like locked in like old gender roles. They're like, if, if she's not fuckable and she's not dressed as a woman, I don't really know what to do. Yeah. It's kind of like. Yeah. I think a lot of them are like, why would a girl want to take diminish away her femininity? Her femininity? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and yeah, sort of move and talk in a way that isn't feminine. Like, why would she do that? And probably not understanding that. Yeah. And equally, them being too afraid to even ask, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it might be fear more than mm. anger. It might, yeah. It's normally fear. Good old fashioned fear. <laughs> Fear's got, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the women are like, it absolutely is very attractive. <laughs> like, 10 out of 10 would smash. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so we've obviously, we've, we've kind of talked quite a lot about being petit pois and your burlesque and that journey. Um, but um, and 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 you actually briefly touched upon like kind of what stirred it, which was the second unexceptional moment, which was drama school and and not being able to like to get in there. I know we've talked about that, um, yeah. like a little bit. Um, 
I mean, what what was it about those moments that made you feel unexceptional? What was it just because you you felt like you wanted to reach for this thing, but you you couldn't get there, or like it was just like so much rejection. Mm. but then you're like well that I should be okay with that because that's the nature of being an actor but I think because it was like I can't even get into the place to become an actor mm-hmm. and people are saying someone else is better you're not good enough mm-hmm. um you're good enough for a bit like we'll get you excited like you're, you're almost going to get in but you're not um and then you're kind of like well I was kind of sitting on my hopes on this and now I've got to like reevaluate what I'm gonna what am I gonna just keep trying and trying and trying for 10 years 20 years um so yeah I just felt very down about it at one point I didn't even want to go to auditions anymore I just felt really low about it Um, hard to stomach that's one of the things is they tell you it quite matter-of-factly like oh you must get used to the idea of rejection but actually that's not a simple thing to do it's quite a hard mental thing to go through and go home and go okay well just stomach that I guess Getting used to it is very different from stopping it from sucking. So, yeah. like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, okay, yeah. I accept that rejection comes with it, but it still hurts. <laughs> yeah. They're like, a second burn is like, they're charging you a lot of money to go and audition yeah. for them. And then they won't tell you what you did right or wrong for next time. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, no. And then it's like, yeah, why? Um, we don't have time to tell you. Even though I paid you, you know, 40, 50 pounds for an audition for five minutes. Yeah. But they don't have time to even send you your notes or even though they're scribbling all the way through mm-hmm. um that so is bullshit that's saying outrageous. um even when I got into so I got put on a waiting list for Mountview and I thought mm-hmm. normally when you get to like the recall or the second recall then you do get your notes back but even yeah. then they're like no we don't do notes and I'm like but I've got this far and if I don't get in what am I going to do differently next time yeah yeah how mm-hmm. am I going to make sure I, I get there further it's like help yeah. me out yeah another teacher said do you know what it's all a lot of it's luck you've got to get the right panel on the right day mm-hmm. um at the right time kind of thing because I remember one school I did I did the same speeches two years in a row mm-hmm. and one panel I did get through to the next round and one panel I didn't mm-hmm. and I thought so it is literally personal preference those mm-hmm. people are going to like what you do or they don't like what you do yeah. um and I guess you just got to remember not to take it personally I guess it's just a very very tough would you say there's therefore because my first thought with that is you see this in stand-up and things like that is there's a bit of a class issue is that a lot of middle-class comics live in London and can afford to take very big risks Mm. whereas those Mm. uh, living up north or working class stand-ups or performers can't afford because like you said if you're paying a certain amount every Mm -hmm. single time and then somebody says oh it's just luck then you're going well luck is gonna run out for me because I can't afford to pay that fee yeah so true I hadn't thought about it till a few years ago actually like I didn't really notice the class divide until someone pointed it out and I was like oh yeah actually we really sold this idea of like someone having nothing and then becoming an actor or a singer and actually it's if you're working class it is so hard because like I was saying before you know I've got to have a day job to assist that Mm -hmm. some people are lucky enough that they can put all their time and energy into yep. becoming an actor. And this mm-hmm. is the other thing. Actors will never tell you how they became actors. They'll mm-hmm. go, oh, I went to uni and then um, and then I got my first job on this. And you're like, yes, but how? Oh, yeah. yeah. How long did that take? What did you do in the meantime? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, they, they really don't tell you. And same for directors. You know, they get given this money to direct a film, but they never tell you. They just don't go into detail about those things. So I think it makes everyone think I can get that. But actually... Yeah probably can't realistically and that that's very true I think I you see that a lot in a lot of kind of creative um in a lot of creative jobs you know if you look at like journalism like you said acting mm-hmm. um if you want to be a, a singer or performer you have to people who are likely more likely to get it they're more likely to have money or financial security where they can spend 10 years trying to yeah. get that gig but if you're someone who doesn't have that financial security and can't not yeah. be working for 10 years or however yeah. long it will take to get that break you have yeah. to cut your dream slightly shorter and yeah. I, I've always noticed that because like there's people who are like yeah and I remember when I was looking at producing for like higher end tv and um kind of like films a lot of it is who you know like you mentioned um Absolutely. before but a massive portion of it is being able to accept free work and that's just not possible for everyone. You can't work full time, you know, as a runner 
yeah and be spending all that time and then expect to be like i don't know if you're if you're living on your own being able to pay for your rent like you can only do that if you're getting help from someone else and not everyone has that so that creates a massive barrier for people who don't have like that financial security you might be like working class like you said kira mm. Mm. Um, yeah oh it's a very bitter pill to swallow <laughs> you're like okay yeah <laughs> It's so extreme as well in London, like just talking to other stand-ups because a lot of people in stand-up are like actors as well or they do other work. And like, like I'm a middle-class girl, but I was really surprised at like the jump up of like what people do in London, like the kind of people who just work at The Guardian because they know someone. Or yeah. It's very surprising. I was like, wow, this really yeah. is like a whole other level of kind of like, yeah. oh, yeah, I just know someone at The Guardian. It's like, yeah. ow! I had that my friend the other day she said um oh, I've got a job on EastEnders um doing location scouting and I was like oh. right stop right there go back yeah. don't care about the rest of your day how did you do this <laughs> and she's like I'm really sorry you're gonna hate me but it's just someone I know <laughs> yeah I knew it, I knew it. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I just need someone who needs someone, and they said there was a job going, and yeah, and I was like, I knew that's the way it is, isn't it? Yeah, that that is. I know someone who works at Shepperton Studios because their brother works there as a carpenter, and they managed to get like a job in the props department. And I'm like sitting here, like, we had a YouTube channel. <laughs> I wanted to be a director. <laughs> everywhere like yeah <laughs> like what is this yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anywho i'm fine i'm happy for her no i'm happy for her too. she's a lovely girl <laughs> oh god but oh yeah so if we, were, if we were to go back to like drama school and you know you're talking about kind of like the rejection that kind of comes with it was it worse when you were getting closer and closer to the finish line and then that was being taken away from you or was it worse when you didn't even make it to the second re- to the next set of recalls yeah both of those probably the very beginning and the very end because i think the very beginning you're like whoa like i should at least be getting a bit near i'm mm-hmm. getting nowhere near um and then to the end you're like i've been doing this for so long and i'm this close now um i'm just gonna have to do it all over again yeah, yeah. both I-, I don't know what was worse i think because i i think yeah to be fair maybe it was worse at the beginning because at the beginning you think oh i must be shit i must be bad right. whereas at the end i was like i know I, I know i'm okay i know i if i'm good enough because i've got to a recall so i can't be bad because i wouldn't mm-hmm. have got that far mm-hmm. um, but it's just not the right time for whatever reason there's someone else who you know fits their quota or did a better job and that that just is you know luck of the draw Mm-hmm. And I think maybe at that point I was, yeah, more used to it, more accepting of well, that's that is just the way it is. One thing that I've I've had a, a conversation with other actors. I think I've talked this with you, Anita, and a few oh. other people. Is how do you find the lovey crowd, like the theatre crowd? <laughs> like, because there's very much like a stereotype of people who are in theatre, <laughs> darling. Like, kind of people they've been in like stagecoach since they were two, and like. <laughs> tap dance jazz modern sing act triple threat <laughs> since they were two years old there's like a specific crowd of people and yeah. my friends who are in who like who do acting and stuff have a mixed response to that group how have you found <laughs> how have you found them um i can't say i noticed them that much but people who are very intense and who are very vocal about you know i do tap and i do this that and the other or quote every play they've written which you just have to nod along to and go yes i know what you're talking about um (laughs) they seem in a world of their own i think like acting you're supposed to be you know getting to know other people and other people's lives yeah they're so invested in talking about their lives that you kind of think they're in the wrong job because you you kind of have to be disinterested in yourself to be an actor Mm -hmm. because you're more interested about knowing about other people yeah and yet these people continuously talk about themselves i'm like you're way too invested in yourself Mm -hmm. to be connected to another person in a dramatic situation i um i had an audition with guy who was in game of thrones he was really young in game of thrones Mm -hmm. um, and he had an agent um but his agent has said you should still go to drama school um to get it you know as a credit kind of thing and he just in the audition process was just so lackadaisical like just 
it just it was like yeah I'm gonna get through whatever like you know I don't even need to be here didn't care and I was like there are people who are desperate to be here and I was like he he's gonna get to the last round because of who he is yeah and he's not and you're just like it's just not a fair world no, it's definitely, I mean, I feel like I was definitely one of those Theodore Harkins until college. Really? <laughs> oh, I feel like, yeah, because, like, I love drama. I, like, eat, I used to eat, breathe, live drama. I, like, loved drama so much. And, like, I wanted to act. I, you're not, like, the annoying one. No. <laughs> I don't think you've ever, you know, no. boasted about things oh. you couldn't can- Oh, yeah, no, I don't mean, like, in terms of my personality, I maybe wasn't, like... <laughs> but I meant, like, in terms of my interest in theatre. Mm-hmm. It's oh, probably the same. that's right, though. Oh, I should say, that's grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was on the very extreme end. No, I know, no, I understand. Right. The, I, I feel like you would, You definitely touched a point where being, like, as an actor, you're. it's not really about you. It's all about, like, observing other people. I, I don't know, I feel like... Because you're mimicking, you're basically, like, mirroring life or mirroring a person the person that you'd be yeah. acting that's what it is right um so like you said if you're so self-absorbed or so i don't know patting your own back all the time and <laughs> not really wanting to kind of push yourself to like tell a different story then that is that your own detriment this is so uh, yeah. weird because like i heard Catelyn moran the feminist writer author journalist talking about mm. this exact same thing about being a journalist she said she has turned down like major um, TV things like um, Big Bro- uh, Big Brother, um, mm-hmm. like talk shows. And she said the reason she turned them down is because when she gets to a certain point of famous, you stop observing people. Like you mm-hmm. don't have the space yeah. to observe people. Mm-hmm. So like if somebody 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 like comes up to her and like says, "Oh, it's you," then she like suddenly people are looking at her, and she was right. like, "I won't be as good a writer if I can't like." melt into the background and mm. just like just watch yeah, people so <laughs> yeah, like, it's really interesting it's very true though i yeah. mean like yeah any sort of p- performance like even like you think thinking about your stand-up and if you're thinking about your burlesque like you'd you'd get that from probably because what was that book that you're telling me about shayla it's like um how to steal like an artist like every idea comes from yeah that? that's it yeah how to yeah. steal like an artist yeah and just saying no idea is original and you owe you owe your thanks to the million or so people before you who inspired mm-hmm. those ideas a lot of the time we don't remember where our ideas come from mm-hmm. but something will have been implanted in your mind from something you've seen heard yeah. Yeah, yeah to create something essentially new but it is from old ideas mm-hmm. really it's really interesting i've made a note of that book yeah but no it's, it's so true like i mean yeah if you're yeah anything that you create has come from something else you might have seen someone else observe someone else yeah and if anything i think it's better when you can know what your inspiration's from to be like yeah this inspired me to create this new thing rather than mm-hmm. no i'm just i'm just amazing it just came in <laughs> i'm great <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> talking about people who maybe might not feel so great this is a segue um hey. one <laughs> Nice. <laughs> <laughs> your last unexceptional moment is surrounding a very particular encounter on a train yes yes do you want to tell us about it yeah so the moment was when um a man was crying on a train mm-hmm. um and i really wanted to offer something to this man and i didn't offer anything and i even to this day really regret that and it was such a bizarre scenario because on the carriage there was just three of us so there was a man sitting sort of two two chairs along from me and a woman sitting opposite and obviously I was aware he was upset and she must have been aware he was upset because we kept locking eyes but obviously (laughs) panic aware but none of us were doing anything about it and then after a few stops he he got up and left and I just remember thinking, why didn't I do it? I was going to do something and I didn't. And that might have, you know, made his day if I did do something. And like, why didn't I do anything? And like, yeah, still a bit guided about that, to be honest. Why do you think that sticks with you? So, for, I mean, when was this? How many years ago? Uh, probably a year or two ago. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think because, like, when you see someone cry, your instinct is normally to comfort or do something. Mm-hmm. And it's just very bizarre that in public scenarios, when someone is being so openly vulnerable and not conforming to, I'm in a public scenario, so I'm going to, you know, hold face. 
mm-hmm. that yeah. we would, you know, observe that and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Like it just felt so. I felt so rude. I felt so like, you know, like I was just sort of ignoring it and pretending mm. it wasn't happening when it was. And I kind of sort of questioned it afterwards, and still now, like, why? Why did I do that? And I think partly, um, perhaps I was so worried. I think it comes from a bit of a selfish place, actually. I was so worried what his response to me offering help would have been. Mm-hmm. That I, you know, I put my own feelings of insecurity at being rejected from helping him mm. ahead of his own feelings of very obvious upset. So I, I didn't make, I didn't put myself in a vulnerable situation because I felt like if I'd gone over and said, do you want help? And he'd said no, I'd have been like, oh, that was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. Whereas actually, if he'd said no, I'd have been like, okay, he doesn't want any help. That should be fine. Mm. But I was so fearful that I would somehow be affected from, you know, offering help. Even though I was sitting there going, I must do something. I should mm-hmm. do something. I should say, are you okay? Even though that's a useless question. But yeah, nothing came to me. Um, and I just feel a bit gutted about that. It just felt like quite a, I don't know, it felt selfish. Because I feel like in scenarios where you talk with people, if I was to imagine it now sitting in my room, like if I saw someone crying in my head, I'd be like, yeah, I'd go up to them and ask if they were okay. And yet I had that opportunity to do that and I didn't do it. I was just like, I'm not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. And then it was too late. And I was like, why didn't I do anything? And she didn't do anything. And what was she thinking? <laughs> looking at yeah. each other like, yeah, we're, we're all very aware of what's happening here. And like, he wasn't even hiding it. He was just had his hands on his head and was just weeping like quite uncontrollably. Was it so quite a loud like, cry? Was it a quiet cry or a loud one? Like medium? Like it wasn't like <laughs> roaring. A medium cry. It was, it was loud enough that I had obviously turned and been like, that man is crying. Yeah. So this is, a, I think it's quite a human reaction is to not to know what to do. Because like you said, it's, it's an, your human reaction is to comfort them. But there's also other things that it's public. It's a stranger, which is yeah. unpredictable. And there was an article originally from Abstract Magazine that has now been published on Medium. Um, about this very thing and um, the author was talking about how you mentally create scenarios for the person you're like well Mm -hmm. why are they crying you try and guess why they might be crying Mm -hmm. obviously you don't know yeah and so there's so much running through your head that yeah by the time you've kind of resolved what to do they may have got up and walked away Um, and um, in the New York Times as well um, there's an article I think look at me I'm crying or something or get me I'm crying and um, what she argued was that um it you don't necessarily have to do anything just the recognition is what some people want because it is quite a public display anyway so another public display of recognition might be a bit much but it's yeah there's i don't think there's a wrong or right answer necessarily it's it's such a it it's a, a weirdly common phenomenon well not weirdly i guess yeah well i mean imagine if he'd stayed on for longer you don't know if if he'd been on for a few more stops maybe you just like you had the time to figure out what i'm gonna do and then once you amped yourself up you'd have been like okay and you had more time with him but then he happened to get off but he's weird nervous you're like someone is crying Mm. like if that had been a child you probably and they were alone even especially we you know i feel like we would run over and be like oh my gosh are you okay like Mm. um, the children have quite simplistic reactions to things with a child they don't have the kind of complexity of life experience to Mm. go well my my wife has left me and i don't have a job like with an adult there's so many variables i guess yeah if you see an adult crying you're like something bad's happened (laughs) because because like most of the time you you keep it together don't you but if you're like oh he's bawling his eyes out something something serious has happened yeah that's a good point actually with adults the implication is god it must be bad if it's yeah, an adult be crying publicly yeah. <laughs> i think you're right um i guess we're trained in a way to you know retain emotions it's kind of like um for some reason we have this same monotonous conversation with everyone in life where we say hi how are you and their normal response is yeah good to you yeah okay and mm-hmm. actually if anyone ever responded with actually i'm really doing badly I think a lot of us, we, we don't know how to respond to that because we're so used to the generic conversation being, yeah, good to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, I don't know, I suppose we need to change our attitudes to people's real life reactions. We're so like, if you're in public, you act like this. You don't do these things. Crying is out of the norm. And you, like you said, we don't know how to react to that because we don't see it. But actually, yeah. people can do shit, okay? 
I have such a big problem with when people apologize when they're crying. This is a bit of a random tangent, but have you noticed in TV shows when someone cries, they're like, oh, sorry, sorry. And they start crying. And you're like, why are you saying sorry? Because you don't need to say sorry when you start laughing, like having a fit and you're laughing your head off. You don't ever go, oh, I'm so sorry oh, and start laughing. But for some reason, when people cry, they always feel the need to apologize for it. And I'm like, crying is a completely valid emotion. If you can sit there and laugh and sit there and smile then you should be able to cry without needing to explain yourself or apologize. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely. will now. <laughs> Literally, watch a reality TV show or something like that and someone starts crying, they always apologize. <laughs> I think it's that feeling of, oh, I must be a burden for crying. It's that mm. feeling of, because it's such a like, it feels, I think it's that implicit maybe shame from crying in public people feel so they feel like this person isn't expecting me to do this so I need to apologize that they're not used to someone doing this to them mm. um but I, I would say that doesn't make it right I think we maybe do need to be a bit more comfortable and I was talking to somebody recently about particularly with people who struggle with conveying uh dark emotions or honest feelings of rage like sadness and without feeling shame is um, I think people who struggle with that often struggle to, like you said, they're so used to going, I'm fine, that it actually feels like a huge leap to say, I had a really bad day, actually, or mm-hmm. I feel really frightened mm-hmm. of this. It's that, like you said, that vulnerability is people, yeah, some people struggle with. Yeah. yeah, I see that. I think the burden thing's definitely quite interesting. Like when you start, mm-hmm. when you, maybe when people start crying, they feel like this problem is now becoming your problem. <laughs> yeah i i don't know maybe i don't know (laughs) i think yeah i think that's how people feel is they feel like oh i shouldn't be um yeah weighing down someone else with my problems which in which i'd say that in of itself is problematic that people need to become more comfortable with sharing their problems um have you have you come across it again since no, but I'm determined if I do to do something. I still don't know what, but something's going to happen. <laughs> Something will be different this time. Be like, no. let me help you. <laughs> just, <laughs> just sprint over to them with a tissue. I'm here. And they're just like, who are you? <laughs> You'll push like someone it. else out of the way who's trying to help. No. And their actual friend. Yeah. This is me. <laughs> this is my time to shine. If someone is to like fall down and hurt themselves, like say they fell on the escalator, people would be there in a heartbeat. Like, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it's just weird if you're crying. It's like, oh, that's that's a tricky territory. Mm. I, uh, oh, but then equally, it's a very British thing for someone to fall over and be like, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. Leave me. No, 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 no. Everything's fine, even if they're bleeding out their knee. But um, yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. It's obvious when someone hurts himself. Like if they fall down, you know what's happened. You're kind of like, yeah, they've true. fallen over. I'll just check they're not seriously hurt. If somebody's crying, it's maybe it's the ambiguity of, oh, oh I don't know that? why they're crying. Yeah, I yeah, I think it's the thing where like we're very good with physical pain, but not very good with emotional pain or something that's a little bit more abstract. Yeah, and would it be too would it be too rude to be like, why are you crying? <laughs> <laughs> just to say like bluntly. Just turn. Why like, is there water coming out of your eyes? Like a like a black and white movie love interest, darling. You mustn't cry. <laughs> Why are you I'll crying? Only, I'll only be gone for two years at the war, you know. Maximum. I'll be back soon. <laughs> maximum. Max. I don't know. That's not what they say. <laughs> darling, I'll return from the war soon. It'll be perfectly fine. Tell the children I regard them. Tell them I love them. Oh. <laughs> But no, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's because we, we're very uncomfortable with emotional pain because it's very much not complex, but you're like, like you said, yeah, it's not so obvious, is it? And I guess even if they did tell you, I mean, I just, we're probably not equipped to deal with a lot of the reasons people are crying. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah, if someone said, you know, well, I don't know, my, my wife died or something. I mean, I don't know what I could offer to... Yeah. be helpful to that and then you feel a bit sort of like oh now I don't know what to say so yeah. maybe that's the fear of offering help is you know I'm going to offer help and yeah. then actually I've, I've got no help to give really mm. you know? you'll be surprised at how much you'll improvise in those scenarios yeah, you'll yeah. yeah. 
That's it. I think it's once once you've got the ball rolling, you kind of your brain does a lot of the work for you without you realizing it. You're just kind of like, right, okay, we're going. <laughs> I'm here now. Yeah. yeah. I will have to see. I will look with open eyes for people crying. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's, okay. I'm gonna go on a real hunt for them now. Yeah. <laughs> Get like the late trains when just people are a bit drunk. Just constantly on the train, just like looking out. <laughs> With a box of tissues. To read for long distance. <laughs> <laughs> today. Why don't you have any audition money? Well, it's with a Southern Rail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Southwestern have taken all of my uh, my money. <laughs> a day travel card, it's fine. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to that, Shayla, and they can understand the, like, the thought process during that you're a bit like (gasps) what do I do what do I not do yeah yeah like you said like whether people want to admit it admit it or not there's a bit of self-consciousness comes into play of I'm probably going to be the first person to ask here and everyone's also going to look at me and them and I just hope everyone has their earpods in at this point um but yeah it's 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 perfectly normal I think for all of those that's what it takes so long is there's just so many things going through your head of everyone's going to yeah. look at me what if they again yeah how but how will they react will it be a positive thank you for asking me or will it be anger <laughs> will they be so fucking angry thank you so much for asking i feel much better now <laughs> <laughs> their face is like miraculously dry <laughs> but no it's very true but thank you so much shayla for coming yeah, along Thanks for having me. It's really lovely. Yeah. Before we sign off, though, we need to ask you about where people can find you. Yes. Where you can find me. You can find me on Instagram at pettipoirburlesque. And website's the same, pettipoirburlesque.com. That's it. Check out her pics. They're so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) And just a weird nerdy point. The sting you use is reap petite. The what? The sting you use on your uh, is Reap Petite. Yeah, is. Oh yes, I love that song. It makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Reap Petite is exactly the sting awesome. for my favourite stand-up club in the whole world as well. So it was just like, oh, memories, performance. Yeah, the stand, the stand. Stand-up like club. they oh, even have they even have a beer called Reap Petite. Wow! Wow! Committed to that song. Committed to that song. But yeah, no, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for sharing your handle. We now have to like tidy everything up and let everyone know where they can find us. Well, guys, if you're while you're on Instagram searching for Petit Poire Burlesque, you may as well, while you're there, <laughs> while you've got the app open on your phone or your computer, your desktop, you boomer, uh, look for <laughs> us at at underscore unexceptionals. Yeah. And if you wanted to, by the way, that's Instagram, Twitter and Facebook will bring you to all the relevant pages where can they find us if they want to email us and tell us we're shit <laughs> you want to send your hate mail you can email us at theunexceptionalspodcast at gmail.com and if you're under the age of what like 27 like us then you can dm us on all of those social media panels like um social media handles that we talked about so yes drop us a dm or email us those are your options until then until then guys Have a lovely rest of the fortnight and we'll see you in 14 days time. (laughs) Yay! Thanks so much, Shayla. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. Yay! Bye! (laughs) Why am I waving at a microphone? (laughs) Music by Kevin McLeod.